So we're just going to get right to work. Uh, we want to talk about how to, how to stay straight in our Bibles. And, and, you know, when we talk about interpretation of Scripture, the interpretation of the Word of God, uh, our approach to, to hermeneutics, um, this is not something we're going to cover in a few minutes on a Tuesday night. All we can do is introduce the concept. Um, we've, got, um, we've got some people down front here that are actually, did we run out of handouts? We did? We're out? Okay, can somebody run, just run some photocopies real quick? Are we out, Keith? They're getting some more? Okay, whenever, whenever Alvy shows back up, uh, get your, yeah, when they show back up, that's your cue to raise your hand and, okay, so, and praise the Lord, we gotta increase the uh, copy count for Tuesday night. That's good. Um, praise the Lord. Okay, so, where was, oh yeah, we got, you know, this, to cover the principles of Bible study, um, you know, a solid approach to hermeneutics, we, man, we, we'd, I mean, these are multiple courses. I mean, there, there's so much material that can be, co- all we can do is introduce the concept tonight, but I'm trusting to do it in a way that will help us help each other and, and, and help us to keep each other straight in the scriptures. So the first concept that I wanna just introduce tonight is you need to understand, if you're gonna learn the Bible properly, then you need to understand that God actually intended you. I mean, if we're gonna take, take a biblical approach to interpreting the Bible, well then you need to know God intended for all of us to be taught. We're supposed to be taught what we're supposed to know. And so if you're, Pastor Alan Shelby said, you, put a, you strand a man on a desert island, give him a King James Bible and a Strong's Concordance, in six months he'll be a heretic. Why, because that component of the body of Christ, that Ephesians 4 function is not in play. And people, you know, whatever sounds good to me must be true and, and, and pretty soon one error builds on another and you've got a whole hermeneutic that is crazy. Okay, so if you're gonna learn to interpret the word of God outside of the local church structure, you are deficient in your capacity to learn correct Bible doctrine. You say, I don't know if I like what you're saying. I mean, just me, my Bible, and God, that ought to be enough. Okay, well, let's, 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 let's go on tour. I wanted to, I put all of the cross-references in your notes so that you'd have this to go back to on these principles, on these concepts. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here it is, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. So Paul is discipling Right, he is teaching his disciples correct doctrine. He's teaching those things. So he's telling them, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same. You don't get to come up with your own content. You don't get to come up with a new data set. What Paul says, what I'm teaching you, that's what you teach. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so that's whenever you're discipling someone, you do not have permission to teach them everything that you know. There are 18 lessons, there are 18 topics. We start there, amen? In other words, you teach what was taught to you, amen? That's the approach. And you just, you, I mean, you see this principle all over your New Testament. Chapter one, verse 13, the command is hold fast the form of sound words. 
There's a doctrinal set, a data set that was given to Timothy. So you keep that. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. Tim, you didn't come up with what should be the centerpiece of your ministry. That was given to you. Chapter three, verse 10. Thou hast fully known my doctrine. Chapter three, verse 14. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. The things that I've taught you, you know what's right. Stick with what's right. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Uh, you, you, you absolutely were in line with us. Um, stay there, right? Paul told, Timothy, or told Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. You don't get to teach what you want to teach. You have to teach what is correct. Teach, speak those things which become sound doctrine. Philippians 4.9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, hold, right? Stand fa- Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught. So again, he's saying the same thing to the church at Thessalonica. There was a data set that was given to you. Stay faithful to that data set. What you learned in the context of your local church, that's what you are to steward. You don't get to come up with your own data set. Romans 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart, here it is again, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. And then Jude, verse three, behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for, here it is again, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You don't get to change the message. What I teach you in this local church, okay, I have stolen from those, all right, well, they gave it to me, but, but I took it. And uh, even the stuff I wasn't sure they were giving me, I took that too. And um, I curate that, and, and that's what I'm regurgitating here at 40th and Walnut. I'm not coming up with my own doctrinal data set. I am doing my dead level best to deliver to you what was delivered to me. Uh, what Pastor Alan Shelby gave me over many, many years, right? That's what I'm trusting over many, many years to give to you. Get this down in your notes. You will not have a correct interpretation of Scripture if you're not accountable to the body of Christ. As you study the Word of God, you've got to be accountable to your brothers and sisters in how you interpret it. And here's the bottom line. If you can't sell your interpretation, you're, you're studying the Scripture, praise the Lord, and you're seeing amazing things, praise the Lord. But if you can't sell your doctrine, right, if you can't communicate your doctrine, if you can't convince others of your doctrine, you can't sell that interpretation, that's not because you're right and everyone else is wrong. Hello, somebody. I go to a church that's full of idiots, said the insane person. Now, I'm not saying that that state can't exist. You may have, you may run into a place in your Bible where you're right and everybody else is wrong. I'm not saying that it can happen, but come on. (laughs) Think about it. 
you're gonna be right and everybody else is gonna be wrong. Statistically, what are the odds of that? I mean, that state can exist as a possibility, but at a minimum, you have an interpretation or a doctrinal insight that's not worth fighting about. You got some insight, you got some truth that you found, and you can't convince anyone of it, maybe you are right. And, and everybody, you, you literally go to a church full of morons, and we just can't understand the words coming out of your face. Maybe that's the case. It's not a doctrinal point or principle that's so important. It's not worth causing division. It's not worth, it's not worth you going to war with your brethren. If it's important, if it's core, if it's critical, you're gonna be able to teach believers, you're gonna be able to teach mature Bible believers what God has shown you, and they're gonna see it, their spirit's gonna bear witness, and they're gonna say, yeah, I see that in scripture. Thanks for hooking me up. And then they'll take that truth and they'll run with it. So what should your goal be? Because when we study the Bible, what should our goal be? To find out ways that I can be right and show everybody else that they're wrong? Is that Is that the approach to Bible study that God is going to anoint and bless and make fruitful for his glory? I tell you what, if that's your approach to scripture, is to find all the places where you're right and everybody else is wrong, I promise you, you're gonna see a lot of fruit in your life spoil because everything reproduces after its kind. And you're you're training up people to go to war with everybody that God's placed in their life, that's not gonna work. You're gonna, you're gonna see the loss of a lot of fruit in your life. So what should your goal be? It's not to be right so as to show everyone else that they're wrong. Don't fall for that. Your goal is 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that y'all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. In Ephesians chapter four in verses 11 through 16, what do we have? God gives us officers in the church. He gives us pastors, teachers, right? He gives us those who instruct us in the word of God so that all of us can operate off the same data set. There's, there's competing data sets out there. There's false winds of doctrine blowing. And with the advent of the internet, it is a hurricane. It's a hurricane of doctrinal craziness out there, and we need each other to keep each other anchored in what the Bible teaches. It's a big book, the Bible. It's a really big book. And I, I, you know, I've said this before, I'll, I'll say it again. You show me a church where everybody has the exact same opinion, opinion about every word, every sentence, every phrase, every chapter, right? you, you show me that, where everybody has the exact same opinion about everything, and I, I'm telling you 99 times out of 100, you found a cult, okay? But having said that, still the goal, I mean, look at 1 Corinthians 1.10. The goal is that we're completely in sync in what the Bible says, and that's gonna take all of us, right? You read Ephesians 4:11 through 16, what do you have? You got every member responsible to edify the body. So what should your approach be? Bro, be humble. That should be your approach. Because your goal isn't to show how everyone else is wrong and how you alone have insight in the truth. And again, if you can't sell it, then your truth isn't worth much. We've had this happen in our church a number of times over the years where someone is convinced they've got an insight that nobody else has and they'll explain it to all the pastors. We even had meetings with the pastors. And we're like, bro, 
we understand you. We've heard this 20 different ways. The problem is, is your argument is not, right? Your your claims are not convincing. Uh, Guys who love their Bibles, guys who give their lives, they devote their lives to studying scripture and, and, and you can't convince them. Well, let's just say you're right. This doctrine, this insight that you have is not worth causing division in this local church. Why don't you just instead pray for us to get clued in, to wake up and stop being morons? Why, do that, okay? Instead of sowing division in the hearts of your brethren. Again, the, 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 the structure for this is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It's our job to help each other stay straight to stay anchored, to stay grounded. So here's the deal, if you're seeing something as you study your Bible that's different than what you're taught, that's actually okay. That's not a problem. But be willing to be humble and work that out with your brethren. That's safety, anything else is division. If your goal is to undermine this pulpit, that automatically puts you on the wrong side of the division. It immediately puts you on the wrong side of the very issue that you're provoking. I mean, if we're wrong, right, if I teach you something and it's wrong, man, and you catch it, you see it, love me enough to come talk to me about it. I don't wanna be wrong, and if I miss something, I'll be so grateful to you for pointing it out. And, you know, and if my response is, I, you know, you're explaining it to me and I cock my head and I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like, where, how'd you come up with that? And you know, like, what? Oh, hey, whoa, let's slow our roll here. Here's some other things to take into consideration. Okay, that is not a declaration of war. Okay, let's, like iron sharpens iron. Let's sharpen one another's account, you know, countenance. Let's be accountable to one another in the word. And, and, and maybe we need to get more pastors involved. We need to get more ministry leaders involved. Uh, we, we may need a larger quorum to, to work something out. At the end of the day, can we not trust God to work through the structure of this local church to keep us straight in the scriptures? Does God keep his promises or not? I mean, that's the place that you have to land if you're gonna have a faith-based approach to ministry. So get this down in your notes. Be teachable. Stay in a place where you, you always stay teachable. So don't be emphatic over things that you infer from scripture. So you're gonna, you're gonna study the Bible, you're gonna get insight, and with that's gonna come personal convictions. Great. And we are to make inference. The Bible, Bible study is set up so that you do make inferences. You see connections. You see common components. Praise the Lord, that's a wonderful thing. But do not be emphatic where the Bible is not explicit. Okay, you gotta make room. Uh, you've got some view that, that, that you're getting from Scripture. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say what you're seeing, but you can see the picture. You can see the principle. You can see the, you can see the, 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 the doctrine by comparing Scripture with Scripture, and, and you've made your inferences. At the end of the day, if the Bible doesn't explicitly say what you're saying, you don't have a, 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 a grandstand from which to operate effectively, Okay. Uh, it may be a truth that you just need to hide in your heart and, and trust the Lord over. Pray for, you know, pray for me. <laughs> I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me in his word. Let's be emphatic over the clear commands of God's word. 
So again, if you're the only one that's clear on what you're communicating, that's because you either haven't been clear and convincing, and if that's the case, then it's not your time to spout off, or you're the one that's missed it, or maybe you're crazy, I don't know. But if you alone are right and everyone else is wrong, well then go start your cult somewhere else. Nobody here's got time for that. We're too busy endeavoring to win souls and make disciples and equip people to see this ministry multiply around the world. If, if, if you're determined to be right and, uh, and your goal in life is to show how the rest of this church is wrong, just go start your cult somewhere else. Have, have mercy on us. Uh, sell, sell crazy somewhere else. Now, okay, so I wanted to cover that as the introduction, but, but really it begs the question, it's a big question, how do you know that you've been taught correctly? How do you know? I mean, how can you know that your approach to Bible interpretation is correct? I mean, the Muslim world, they've been taught what they, they know from, from infancy, right? Who's to say we're right and they're wrong? How do, you, how do you know? How do you know that you have the truth? How can you find, look at Proverbs 22. You know, in Proverbs 22, verses 17 and 18. Man, we have the word of God, why? So verse 19, so we can trust in the Lord. And here's the promise, verse 20. Have, I, have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth? that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. To be able to come to a place of certainty where you can say it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, the word of God says, and that settles this issue. God's truth, God's word absolutely settles the the, the disagreement. How, How can we come to that place where we know we have the truth, the correct, the correct sacred literature, the correct interpretation? So man, you gotta do the math, and we don't have time to tread all that ground again tonight, but, but there is a path to go from creation itself to the scriptures, and that's very clear in scripture. You cannot deny that there's a creator. If you've got eyes that can see, if you've got senses that work, you know we live in an incredible creation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There absolutely is a creator, and if you'll start studying what he did, you see that he's a, a genius and artist, but you also see that he's good. You see that you have this wonderful creator. Now what? what? Why am I here? Well, check out all sacred literature and one book stands alone. The Bible repeatedly authenticates itself as being supernatural just through prophecy. I don't know how anyone isn't a, a, just a, 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 I mean, an all out follower of God you know, since 1948, the creation, the restoration of the nation of Israel, nobody believed that that could ever happen again, that a nation that was disbanded for almost 2,000 years would be just exactly like the Bible says, a people in her land speaking her language, I mean, unheard of, never happened before in human history. But there it is. But then, once you see the Bible is the word of God, it tells you how you're supposed to interpret it. Uh, You can go from scripture to a path to correct doctrine. So how can I know I'm interpreting the Bible correctly? Well, okay, we're gonna sum this up very simply tonight. Uh, But, but, you know, for the sake of this introduction tonight, we're just gonna align 
all of the approaches to, to, to Bible interpretation into two camps. There's the allegorical camp, the allegorical method of interpretation, and these will have, you know, there'll, there'll be different flavors of this, but, but basically it assumes that the Bible has various levels of allegorical or associated spiritual, even secret meanings, right? Instead of the literal grammatical meaning, meaning, like in other words, it says what it says. Well, it doesn't mean what it says. There's a deep, hidden Gnostic insight in this that we're gonna delve into and we're gonna, in, in other words, you just make stuff up as you go along, whatever, whatever sounds groovy and cool to you. So the allegorical method looks for hidden meanings beneath the literal statements made by the Word of God. Did you get that? It's not taking the Bible at face value. It says what it means, it means what it says. No, 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 no. What's it really trying to say? What's the real truth that's here? And then, you know, you just run to speculation and, and um, fantasy and, you know, wild dreams and interpret. I mean, it's just, it, it, it just goes nuts. True Bible study, uh, true Bible study, true Bible students follow a grammatical, literal method of interpreting the scripture. They, they take a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of the word of God. Dwight Pentecost described it this way. He said the literal method of interpretation is the method that gives to each word the same exact basic meaning it would have in normal, ordinary, customary usage, whether employed in writing, speaking, or thinking. Now, you know, okay, so we're gonna take a literal, that's what we endeavored to do here at MBT. It's what we teach. We, t- we take a literal view of scripture and there are rules to the approach of Bible study interpretation. They, these principles, when they're employed, they actually facilitate the word of God opening up itself to you. Your, the, the truth of God's word is revealed to you. Uh, and we cover this in great detail in Discipleship 2. Uh, we now call that Foundations 2 and 3. It's the introduction to our Bible school uh, here at MBT, LFBI. Uh, foundations two and three, we, we teach you the keys to Bible study. And, and, and so we won't cover all of that ground here. Everybody ought to take those classes. You say, well, I, I don't intend to be a pastor or a missionary. Do you intend to properly interpret the book that God gave to you and command you to use in the lives of people wherever you're at? Well then, you need, the, you need the keys of Bible study. At a minimum, everybody needs to take those two courses. Uh, we actually want everybody in this church to take the first half of LFBI, the, the curriculum that we label the essentials. Um, that's, we, we would love for everybody to, to at least get that. The approach, you know, a literal interpretation takes the Bible Seriously, it takes it at its word. In other words, the Bible says what it means and it means what it says. And anytime it's using allegory, it does in places use allegory or symbolism, then it's very clear in the context of where that allegory or symbolism shows up, it's very clear that that's what the Bible is doing. Uh, so so we're, we're, you know, if you, want the, if you want the truth of God's word to be revealed to you, you have to come to the Bible the way you would come to any other relationship. If you're, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're second guessing what they're saying all the time, you said you wanted to get breakfast and catch up, 
but I think what you really meant was you hate me and despise me and you're looking for a way to make my life miserable. How long is that relationship gonna last? When you twist the words of your friend every time their mouth opens, you misrepresent them. Is that relationship gonna thrive? Don't do that in your relationship with this book. Does that make sense? Don't misrepresent it, even in your own heart or mind. It says what it means, it means what it says. Okay, here's the command. The command to properly interpret scripture, 2 Timothy 2.15, very famous verse around here. Paul commands Timothy, the word of God says to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And here it is, this is the key, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to separate some things in your Bible from some other things in your Bible. You have to be able to do that or you're gonna be ashamed. Why? Because God's speaking to you, but you are misinterpreting him. You're misunderstanding him, and then you end up misrepresenting him, and oh, that's a big deal, to misrepresent the word of God to other people. There are, there are some things in your Bible that you gotta be able to delineate, to separate, to, to see the distinctions and the differences of this one thing versus another thing. The easiest division for us to see in our Bible is what? Old Testament versus New Testament. It's like labeled right there. Uh, you could have an IQ of you know, 60 and you, you won't miss that, okay? If you have an IQ of 60, can you read with some comprehension? I don't know, somebody probably knows. I, my IQ's not that high, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. Old versus new, that's easy. I'll give you another example. This is why we're so big on the dispensational approach to Bible interpretation. A dispensational view of scripture will keep you from getting messed up. And we see dispensational theology illustrated for us. There's a teaching mechanism that you get for this in the Gospels in Luke chapter 16 and verses one and two. Jesus tells a story. He said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. Uh, oikonomia, right, sounds like economy. It's the word that we, that's also translated as dispensation in your Bible. Uh, biblical, a, a, a stewardship view, a, 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 a kingdom of God economy view of scripture. Uh, give an account of thy stewardship for thou mayest no longer be steward. And so what you will then find is this story playing out over and over and over again in your Bible. Uh, each dispensation is marked by a required stewardship and the steward, obviously from this story, is responsible to effectively, properly manage the affairs of the rich man. Who does the rich man represent in this story? Obviously God, anytime you don't know the answer, just shout out Jesus, it's right most of the time. So there's a required stewardship, but then the steward fails. So point number two, a failed stewardship, and then in judgment, they're called to give an account of how they represented the rich man. They're called to give an explanation of their failure in the management of his kingdom. And then obviously, they may no longer be steward. There's a removal, and then obviously a replacement of the failed steward. And you will see that story play out over and over and over again in scripture. We call this, 
we call this a way to view the Bible through a dispensational lens. It's called dispensational theology. In your handout, I give you a chart. It's, it's just a classic view of, of seven dispensations. It's the most common approach to viewing the Bible dispensationally. And so, for, you know, the way God operates with man in the garden is different than he does after the garden, after the fall, right? Uh, you, see, you see another dispensation from Adam to Noah, then from Noah to Abraham. You see the dispensation of the law under Moses. The, the, right now we're in the age of grace. And then you see a thousand year millennial day, a kingdom reign. Uh, that is the conclusion. And some people will add eternity past and eternity future and they'll have nine. Uh, but this is, this is the typical uh, way to show those divisions, those right divisions, because the way God works, the way he communicates in one era is not the same as how he communicates and deals with man in this era. For example, we do not sacrifice sheep in our services. Why? We're able to rightly divide the word of truth. We're, we're actually able to compare and delineate this thing from that thing and we can see how to have a right relationship with God. We already know that, that he is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we don't slaughter sheep in our services. Get this down in your notes. A dispensational view of the Bible gives you the ability to consistently distinguish between Israel and the church. Uh, and this is the big one. You know, people get messed up in their Bible because they can't tell the difference between what God promised to, what God's, what God's delivering to the nation of Israel nationally versus what belongs, the promises that belong to us as the church in the age of grace. Uh, God is not done with Israel, okay? There are many promises yet to be fulfilled over the life and the nation of Israel, and it's not appropriate for us to bogart those for ourselves. Uh, read Romans 9 through 11. Chapter 11 can't be more plain. Uh, it, it all but says, God is not done with Israel. When Christ returns, all Israel shall be saved. So this is a key in Bible study. Whenever you're reading a passage, understand the greater context. Who is the passage written to? It is, is the audience Jewish? Is it Gentile or is it the church? You don't want to misapply a passage that was written directly to another group. I've used this illustration in the past. It works really well, and so I'll just very quickly tell it again. Your name is Bobby. You got it? Your name is Bobby. You're in love with Sarah. Is everybody with me? Bobby, you're in love with Sarah. I mean, she is the prettiest thing that ever walked. She is so wonderful, and you just can't quit thinking about her. Like, clinically, if we diagnosed you, you are Twitterpated, okay? And, and uh, what happened, though, is Johnny, when Johnny went to the bathroom, was it Sarah that we're in love with? Yeah. yeah, Sarah got up and went over to Johnny's desk and she puts a note, she drops a note on his desk, and then she goes and sits back down, starts talking and giggling with her friends. Well, Johnny sits right in front of you, and you're like, what did Sarah write to Johnny? So you swipe it, because it's got hearts on the top. You swipe it, and you open it up, and it's, Dear Johnny, I heart you. Do you heart me? Check yes or no. <laughs> if yes, meet me after school by the rose bushes and I'll give you a big smack, big smoochie. 
and you read that, and, and at first your heart sinks. Like, she's in love with John. That can't be. But then you get to thinking about it. Uh, no, I saw the way she was looking at me the other day. All I have to do is meet her at those rose bushes, and we will be making out. I'll be making out like a Mac Daddy. That's what you're thinking. And so after school, you go, you follow Sarah out to the rose bushes, and you get a smack. But it's not the one you wanted. What'd you get? You got Sarah's little fist right in your kisser. And you're like, why? But I love you. Look at this note. And then she says to you, that wasn't written to you, you moron. That was written to Johnny. Do not steal God's love letters to Israel. Is this making sense? What God promised to Israel, we don't take that and say that the church now replaces Israel as we study our Bibles. Don't do that. Don't misapply a passage written to another group. Okay, what's written to us in the age of grace? The Apostle Paul, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, Acts chapter 19, verse 15, God says exactly that. Paul says that, uh, that he's going to the Gentiles in chapter 13. In Galatians 2, he says he is the apostle of the Gentiles. For he that wrought effectually in Peter, the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So we went to the heathen, they went to the circumcision. And so Paul writes the epistles for the church age. These are the letters to the church. These are the letters for the age of grace. So Romans to Philemon in your Bible, these are the books that are written directly to you. These books set the doctrinal authority for local churches. So don't steal other love letters and apply them directly to yourself. So get this down in your notes. All of the Bible is written for you, but not all of the Bible is written to you. What is written to you, you will find between Romans chapter one all the way to the book of Philemon. That is what is written to the church. The Pauline epistles now form the doctrinal anchor point through which, from which, we operate in the rest of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. The Pauline epistles are the lens through which you apply doctrine, okay? D don't, don't miss this. The Pauline epistles are the lens through which you apply doctrine from Genesis to Revelation in the time of the church age. For example, in the New Testament, Okay, you've got the Gospels. The Gospels are what? That, that represents a transitional time. You don't see the church. You can see the church called out. You can see it instructed, right? But you don't actually see the, 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 the church in terms of the New Testament revelation and the age of grace. You don't see it in operation yet. So you've got a, a transition from an Old Testament dispensational uh, economy to the age of grace. You see that also in the book of Acts. It's another transitional time. This is the record of the Acts of the Apostles, not doctrine for the New Testament Bride of Christ. It's a transitional, the, 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 the book of Acts is the transitional period from the, 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 the death of the testator, right? From, from the time where Christ buys the church, buys the bride with his love, through the time where the, the, the mystery body of the church is revealed by the Apostle Paul. You read about that, I'm gonna give that to you as homework in Ephesians chapter three, verses one through 12. I wanna encourage you to read that. That is a pivotal passage in your Bible. Uh, this is where the mystery body 
of Christ is revealed, what it means to be in Christ, where both Jew and Gentile can become one in the person of Christ. We are the body of Christ, incredible. It's one of the great seven mysteries that you find in scripture that we're responsible to know. And then the general epistles, they're also transitional. Uh, there is a, there, there, you know, don't, don't miss this. The general epistles have a historical context. They were written to believers, okay? They were used by believers. They are in our backstream. But there's also a tribulation context in the, gener- in the general epistles that we can't lose sight of. Uh, otherwise, you're gonna think that you have to overcome. You have to endure to the end to be saved. And that's not what you find. You don't find anybody having to, Christ is our overcomer. You don't find anybody having to endure to the end to be saved in Romans to Philemon. You don't see anybody losing their salvation in Romans through Philemon. Is this making sense? So this is critical. Don't miss this. From the time of the Gospels, but also, right, in the book of Acts, in the general epistles, we can interpret doctrine through the lens of Pauline theology. This is what's commanded in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. This is how we compare spiritual, this is how we learn the Bible, this is how the Holy Spirit teaches us God's word when we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. So let me give you a few key passages of consideration in the few minutes that we have left. This is gonna save some of you from going to seed on hyper-dispensationalism. Acts chapter nine, key passage. Paul was baptized in Peter's church. You've got some people that get so, that, that they wanna just only be in the Pauline epistles. And as a result, they'll view the Pauline epistles as the only place that the church can receive doctrine. When Paul says exactly the opposite of that, by the way, but they, we, we can only take doctrine from the Apostle Paul because he is the apostle to the Gentile bride of Christ. He is the first one who is saved by grace through faith. Not true, that's not what Paul is saying, but you've got people that believe that. And as a result, I can't, they, their view is they can't take doctrine from the Gospels, they can't take doctrine from the general epistles, they can't take doctrine from the Old Testament. We can only receive doctrine from the Apostle Paul. No, Paul was baptized into Peter's church. Take that, hyper-dispensationalists. Romans chapter 16, verse seven, Paul says, salute all these guys who were in Christ before me. Who was the person that revealed the, the mystery body? That Jew and Gentile are made one in Christ in Ephesians chapter three? That was the Apostle Paul. That was the Apostle Paul. And he's saying, here are people who were in Christ before me. Are you guys tracking with me on this? This is critical, okay, no. Peter and Paul's church, same church. So historically, believers of this same church, they were receiving doctrine, Matthew to Revelation. Some people think it's wrong to waste pulpit time in anything but the Pauline epistles. Paul says that's an ignorant view. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. What I taught you, stick with that. And hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And look at what he says. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for what? 
for doctrine. Doctrine is teaching, instruction, truths that can be applied, truths to live by. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. If you're ignoring doctrine in Genesis, I, got, I promise you, you are not truly furnished. You are missing out on critical data that God wants applied and used in your life. 1 Timothy 6, verse three. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, look at what Paul says, he doesn't consent to, he's not submitting to, he's not agreeing with even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you find those? The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's where I get water from. I hurt my voice. In the Gospels, that's where you get, that's where you get the words of the Lord. I mean, the whole thing is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't miss what he's saying. He's tying his readers to submit to the, to the Gospels. So if you don't submit to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, and oh, by the way, all scripture is profitable for what? For doctrine, according to godliness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So if he doesn't submit to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to good doctrine, what is he? Verse four, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil, surmising. He's right and everybody else is wrong. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. So Paul binds his readers to the whole of Scripture. That means you and I were bound doctrinally to the whole of Scripture. Well, why aren't we sacrificing sheep on the stage here? Well, because we have Romans through Philemon, that's why. The Pauline theology is what keeps us straight and anchored from Genesis to Revelation. I'm free free to apply doctrine from the Gospels. This is why so much is unanswered. There's so much Christian living that the Apostle Paul doesn't even address in his epistles. Why? Well, because he doesn't have to cover everything. We have the whole of God's word available to us. There are, there are things that Paul clarifies. There are things that Paul redirects on. Um, man, praise the Lord for that. The things that he lets, he lets be, the things that he leaves alone, they don't have, that, that's not ground that has to be retread. That's not doctrine that has to be rehashed. So I'm free to apply doctrine from the Gospels, from the Old Testament, from the general epistles, as long as I don't overturn Pauline theology. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, Paul specifically says, God sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Oh, so Paul was against baptism. We shouldn't be baptizing in the church then, because Paul doesn't command it. Well, he did it. I mean, uh, the cross-reference is right there, read it. I mean, he baptized people. That's That's the funny part. You know, in terms of all of the apostles, he's the one that did everything, including snake handling. You don't have that record for anybody else. Like, I mean, he does it all, all the Pentecostal stuff. He's all about it, you know, he's doing it all. Now, the sign gifts, he says very clearly, will pass away. That which is in part will pass away when that which is perfect is come. Do you have a perfect Bible? Then you don't need to speak in tongues and give us a new word for the Lord. Because the 1 Corinthians 13 says that has 
passed away because it's in part. Obviously, Paul doesn't have to command baptism. Why? Well, because the Lord Jesus did. So he doesn't have to retread that ground. You see what I'm saying? Paul isn't saying that baptism isn't for the church age. He did it. He's showing in this, this point, he sent me to preach the gospel, he's showing his commission, his appointment as a missionary to preach the gospel to Gentiles. So don't be proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words. Because, I could, because I've got Romans through Philemon, uh, this is why I'm preaching to you the book of Genesis. What? Because what? you've got to see Jesus you got to see these principles for Christian living. you got to see the gold that Genesis contains for you. My ultimate goal, if I live long enough, will be to preach the book of Isaiah. Uh, that'll be just amazing. And then if there's time and I'm still living, I want to tackle Ezekiel and Zechariah, but we'll see what happens. There's so much there that we need as the church. And none of that will mess us up because we've got our Pauline theology down. Is this making sense? Don't be proud knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of word. Don't be the point of division in our church. So let's finish where we started. Be teachable. Don't come to the place where you're the final doctrinal authority for everything that this local church does. Be an Ephesians 4 man, right? Be accountable to your brethren. You're gonna get insight. Man, if, you, if I say something wrong, man, I pray you catch it. Come talk to me, you, right? Have, have a backbone, come talk to me, T- tell me. I wanna know what you're thinking. And if I recognize you don't have the whole data set, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, there's a few things that you need to think about, <laughs> right? If we need to, we'll get help, but let's sort it out. You've got some peculiar view on scripture. Don't use that to sow doubt and discord in your brother's hearts and minds. Engage, work out issues. What if you're seeing something the rest of us are missing? We need you to fill us in. What if you're crazy or stubborn? What if you're a potential point of church division? Well, then you need to know that you're being a knucklehead. You need to hear that. Like, you want that. Bro, not convincing. (laughs) Let it go. Okay, Lord, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna trust you with this. I still see it. Okay, well, stay teachable. Keep comparing scripture with scripture. Be in the structure that God has you in. And you, I mean, the word of God, God promises you as you love the scripture, as you approach it correctly, it will open itself up to you. Brothers and sisters, is this making sense? Um, We crammed a lot in a simple introduction, but um, man, I can't recommend LFBI enough Um, even if you just take one class at a time, uh, that is gonna hold you accountable in your study of God's word. A lot of times what we do is we approach the scripture just kind of freewheeling, and we're getting ideas and things like that, and you've never been disciplined to set under a set, a form of instruction. You need that. We all need that, right? We need to be accountable uh, with our brethren in our study of the word of God. Uh, Sorry we went long. I love you. Don't be a heretic. All right, Father, dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.